Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by composer Jesse Harlan for the game Mafia 3. Mafia 3 comes out tomorrow, which is October 7th, and he and I got to chat a few weeks ago. So that part's not very unusual that I would get the opportunity to talk to a composer before the game comes out, but what is unusual is that for the last several weeks, the entire score for Mafia 3 has been online, on YouTube, for anyone to listen to. That is highly unusual for a AAA game like Mafia 3. So it was super cool to get to hear the whole thing and talk to him, and uh, just neat that the, the score is out there for everyone to hear already. Okay, so a few things. This score rules. <laughs> it's all blues, and that is so refreshing in and of itself because, you know, like guns and mafia and revenge, that does not normally result in a blues score for a game. We'd hear something like hybrid orchestral with, like, electronic music more often than not, although there's loads of exceptions to that rule, and that hybrid style is great and continues to be amazing in loads of titles. Uh, but this, <laughs> this is the blues, my friends. Oh, and when Jesse mentions the name Lincoln Clay, that's the main character in the game. He also brings up the developer, Hangar 13, and the publisher, 2K. I'm so excited to talk to you about this soundtrack because it's amazing. And one of the things that blew my mind is that it's online and the game isn't out yet. I know, right? How? Who did that? 2K. Really? They just, yeah, they just decided. I And I don't know why. My guess is that, you know, when you're doing a game, you've got this long protracted period of time where you're trying to maintain buzz and, and marketing is not an easy job. No. And so if you can leverage anything, go crazy. And and nice. um, and I, I think that that may have been part of the thinking behind it, that if, if you can put out the music and, and put out whatever else, then uh, it helps to just continue having people talk about it. And so, yeah, super lucky. Like, usually, well, I mean, usually you don't get a soundtrack, period. Right, uh, right. That's just how the industry goes. And yeah, here we are with, I, th I think, over a month lead time from the release of the game and the soundtrack's been out on iTunes and Amazon and Spotify. such a fun listen and not not what I expected you know and and that's yeah. what was so pleasing about it initially was just how unexpected it was for what I would have thought a mafia game would would be and so just to, to kind of set it up a little it's set in a fictionalized New Orleans right and uh, you definitely found a way to kind of portray that musically so to, so tell me a little bit about that process it wasn't a given 
when we started that we were going to go with the blues. When I first started talking with Matt Bauer, who is Hangar 13, the development studio uh, at 2K, Hangar 13's audio director, he explained to me what the game was about. He explained to me the time period. He explained to me the, the setting. Sent me some documents that had concept art and a little bit about story, but it was all still early, early days. It was about two years ago, two and a half years ago. And so not much was written other than sort of story outlines. So they knew who Lincoln Clay was, and they knew what they wanted him to be and do and and, uh, what kind of a character he was going to be. So... It was enough for me to go away and, and think about it and come back to Matt and uh, Hayden Blackman, who's the project lead at Hangar 13. And I came back and I said, um, I've got what I'm going to call fence posts for you guys. I've got this idea that you can mark off the territory within which the soundtrack will fall with these sort of four pure form fence posts. And it it creates a boundary, a matrix almost, within which somewhere the score is going to sit. And it's going to be oriented towards you know, one or more of those fence posts. But if you went in a pure direction towards any one of them, these are the four options that I think you've got. And the first one was orchestral, because Mafia 1 and Mafia 2 were both orchestral scores. My very first demo that I did for them of the orchestral stuff, over the top of the end of it, I found a guy on YouTube who is a voodoo priest who was singing a traditional voodoo song. He was just singing a cappella, and I laid it over top. Well, I didn't lay it over top. I put music underneath. I had to sort of write this like orchestral underpinning to go under, underneath of it, just as a proof of concept to sort of say, like, we could do something like this because we're in a fictionalized New Orleans and, and um, you're going to have one of the main characters is this Haitian woman, Cassandra. And, and so there was talk early on of voodoo as a thing that might pop up, not in a gameplay mechanic, but just like it was a thing. And so I said, OK, so here's, here's one demo. Orchestral with some voodoo singing at the end. The second one was rock. What would the game sound like if uh, it had been scored by, like, the Moody Blues? And Matt thought that that was going to be problematic in terms of a fight for frequencies. And he felt like if it was just a you know guitar mush the whole time, then he would lose the ability to really craft spaces for your weapons are trying to tell you that you need to reload them, but you can't hear the click of it because it's being drowned out by a bunch of guitars. Sure. Or you can't hear the footsteps of the guy approaching behind you because it's just too noisy. So frequency space became an issue. Mm-hmm. A third option was funk. Like a Lalo Schifrin style funk score. Mm-hmm. 
Hayden was insistent that that not be the case because he didn't want the game to slip into feeling like a black exploitation film. Oh, interesting. Because, well, I mean, and you haven't really explained either who Lincoln Clay right. is, Sorry. right? Yeah, that's right. So to give a little background, uh, Lincoln is a mixed race orphan who goes to Vietnam, comes back and finds that things with his, I don't want to say adopted dad, because I don't think he's actually adopted him. I think he just sort of took him in finds that things have gone south between the black mob and the Italian mob. And New Bordeaux is a city that is a tangle of different power struggles. The Italian mob is fighting the Haitian mob. The Haitians are fighting the Irish. Everybody's fighting with each other. And they have sort of a house of cards situation that the Italian mob eventually gets tired of and just decides to upend everything and take the whole city for themselves. So the first thing they do is this giant assassination on the black mob and they wipe everybody out you know this is all stuff that has been i think since the very first trailer 2k okay. been saying this stuff so i'm sure sure hope i'm not ruining this for anybody because it should, be, <laughs> should be stuff that you know if you watch any trailer you'll get that sense of that's what's happening nice. so it's, it's basically it's a revenge story where it's about lincoln trying to get revenge for the death of his adopted family and like i think the tagline is for the whole game is uh let's see what is it uh family's not who you're born into it's who you die for something like that Mm -hmm. so it's all about lincoln's loss of family and then quest for a new family That's what the story arc is, and Hayden was very specific in saying that funk mixed with that would push it too much towards making it feel like a black exploitation film, and that wasn't something he was interested in doing, which I totally get, and I totally agree. So then the fourth choice was the blues, and there was a lot of talk about, well, if you're going to do the blues, what kind of blues are you going to do? Because the blues is so broad. Even at its like most surface level, you've got New Orleans blues versus Chicago blues. Right. And then you've still got to be able to tell a story with the music. You can't just make it a song score. So it, it was a risky direction to go down, and one that 2K was interested in, but nervous about. Because they'd never heard a score that sounded like it. And, and right. Not in a game, anyway. And I agree. I don't think I've heard a score that sounds like it. And 
So it took a lot of demoing, and it took a lot of comforting (laughs) 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 to tell them that I wasn't crazy and that I thought this was going to be a cool thing for us to do. Then they they brought in Jim Bonney to co-write score with me. And so the two of us tackled it together, and Jim, Jim was on because Jim's just got this lifelong passion for the blues and he's super excited to get that opportunity so so the two of us set to work doing it and um and it wasn't until e3 of this year that i was hearing from 2k that and by that point like the score is done and recorded um, but it wasn't until then that i finally got the word of like okay okay i think this is the right way to go with the score i don't think we're gonna I don't think we're going to have a problem with it. I think it's going to be okay. did hear a lot of you know blues and there's definitely jazz influence in there too yeah, yeah. um and it's kind of dirty yes you know yes so that talk was, to me about that i'm glad you say that because that was one of the things that when i originally pitched it to to k i said let's do the blues but let's do like a dirty grimy blues let's listen to stuff like tom waits Let's listen to, there's an album called, I think it's pronounced Gree Gree by Dr. John back in the 60s. They call me Dr. John, known as the Night Tripper. Got my satchel of Gree Gree in my hand. Let's listen to those sorts of things. Let's listen to the grimy old recordings of John Lee Hooker or Muddy Waters. And let's not make this a pretty digital, pristine sounding thing. We want noise. We ended up working with an absolutely amazing recording engineer and mix engineer, a guy named Ronan Chris Murphy, who is out of Los Angeles. And he was a, a record engineer for a long time. And he did, um, like, he worked with King Crimson for a lot. So the dude knows guitars and the dude knows drums. And he's just phenomenal. And so we were recording in Nashville with these amazing blues musicians at at two different studios. We did a week of recording at Ocean Way in Nashville and then another week at the House of Blues. And one of my favorite moments is that when we were recording at the House of Blues, there was this noise that we were getting on the microphones, and we couldn't figure out what it was at first. And it turned out that the microphones were picking up the sound of rain tapping on the the roof. Really? Uh, 
Studio D. And so we just thought like, oh, that's the greatest. Our grimy, dirty blues score absolutely needs to, like, let's not filter <laughs> that out. Let's not try and isolate it. Let's let's embrace it and run with it. So I forget which tracks it is, but there are some tracks where you can hear some uh, some Nashville rain. also like so many live instruments in there um you know there's like acoustic bass and of course the guitars and the piano and i think i heard cello maybe so tell me a little bit about about the performers and the choices you made in terms of you know live live players to do that i think i I first have to explain how the score is is split down the middle between jim and i jim did the combat music for the game Okay. And I did all of the thematic material and cinematics and like menu music and stuff. Okay. So the way that the combat system in the game works is um, I mean, you've got a, a pretty game savvy and game audio savvy audience. So we're using WYs under the hood and it's managing this four layered interactive combat system where the music has four different intensities of stealth music and then low, medium, and high intensity combat music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And everything changes depending on what sort of awareness level the enemies have of you and of you to them. So in order to do that, we talked and Jim was writing these blues tunes and I told him that uh, I thought the best way for us to do it, and that I think the hippest way and sort of the only way that it would work, would be if we got everybody into the room all together and recorded all the instruments together in the same space. So we basically spent a week recording a band. guitar players. We had a bass player who doubled acoustic and electric bass. The guitar players had just this huge selection of guitars they could pick from, including any number of acoustic or electric instruments, any number of 12-string or dobro or mandolin or you name it. They had a whole bunch of things. And then we had harmonica, that was in an ISO booth. Then we had, let's see, who am I forgetting? The drums, and then Hammond organ.
so we tracked those guys all Monday through Friday morning, and then Friday afternoon we did a separate session, which was a brass section overlay. So I think it was two trumpets and uh, alto tenor and Barry sax, maybe trombone too. I can't remember, but we recorded a brass section as well. at Ocean Way, and we did that for a week. Then we all went home and did our laundry and <laughs> flew back to Nashville for another week. And we were over at the House of Blues for a week, and that that was in this small little Studio D. It's tight and a little cramped. We were kind of tripping over each other with so many people in the room, mm-hmm. but it's this amazing little space with the same recording console, like not the same kind, but the exact same recording console that Prince recorded Purple Rain on. Nice. Somehow that console made its way to Nashville, Tennessee and and into Studio D. And in fact, Studio D made its way to Nashville. Like the funny thing about it is we brought in our drummer to record stuff and he's, he's looking around at it. And he said, uh, we just happened to have the uh, the guy who manages the studio was in the booth at the same time that this happened. He said, um, this is weird. Like, I'm pretty sure I've recorded in this room before, but I've never been over here. And the guy who runs the studio said, oh, yeah, that's right. This studio used to be in Memphis. And we <laughs> stuck it on a flatbed trailer and moved it to Nashville. And the drum was like, yeah, no, that's right. I, that's absolutely right. I've been, I've recorded in this room in Memphis and now here it is in Nashville. <laughs> Everything about those sessions was really kind of magical. So we were recorded in, in this transported studio for five days. And Monday was bass, Tuesday was drums, two days of guitar, and again, like, you know, it was acoustic and dobro and, and all sorts of electrics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then Friday was this amazing day where in the morning we brought in steppers from Tennessee State University and recorded a whole bunch of body percussion. evening was the principal cello player from the orchestra there in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And so he tracked a whole bunch of cello stuff for us. Mm -hmm. 
you mentioned too that you did all the thematic stuff. So that's right. Talk to me a little bit about constructing themes for locations or characters and. Yeah, it's character themes and not location themes because actually one of the gameplay mechanisms is that when you take over new territories of New Bordeaux, you can assign your different characters to run them. And if you assign too much to one person, then you can create rivalries and anger people. So it didn't make sense to create themes for the locations because they can take on different personalities depending on who's who's running them. But Hayden was insistent that he wanted a thematic score. There's this video that's going around right now about the cinematic Marvel Universe and its music. Yes. Uh, you've seen it, okay. Yes. And in it, you've got this like round table of film composers who are who are big names and they're talking about how it's a trend right now where people didn't want strong melodies in their in their scores directors don't want strong melodies mm-hmm. and so i came to hayden and i said before i start i need to know do you want themes in this because it's kind of a thing nowadays where a lot of directors consider that to be passé and and kind of an old style way of doing things mm-hmm. and he said nope I absolutely want character themes, so that made it super simple. was very easy to decide which characters to have themes too because it just makes a lot of sense in terms of how the game is structured. So Lincoln has his three lieutenants of Burke, Cassandra, and Vito, and then there's the Marcano family is the Italian mob that you're fighting against. So Lincoln got a theme and Burke and Cassandra and Vito and then the Marcanos. Everybody got their own themes and that's how we split it up. In terms of how I went about giving them themes, I have this thing that I've been playing with, this approach to composition. I've done it once or twice before and I really like what it does for me in terms of how to generate ideas and inspiration. There's this familiar thing in in scoring where you look at what the character's background is and you score their sort of their heritage or or their background and so if somebody is from china and so you get chinese instruments playing when whether it's a chinese themed story or not you get some sort of you know maybe you have a melodic chinese instrument playing their theme whatever it happens Mm -hmm. so that to me was too obvious with a game that has the Haitian mob and the black mob and the Irish mob. So what I did is this thing I've done before where instead I like to think about what kind of music does that character listen to? And when I was at LucasArts, we were working on this game that never saw the light of day, but it was this crime drama and the director asked me to come up with iPod playlists for each of the main characters. Fun. worked so well that I've done that now a couple times. And so for this, it was what's on the turntable at the home at each of these characters in 1968. For some of it, it makes sense. Some of it is a little maybe what you'd expect. Vito Vito was the one I didn't do this all that much with because I actually wanted to 
even though the instrument palette is totally different for this score from Mafia 2, I actually, Vito's theme is a callback to the main theme of Mafia 2. May or may That's not cool. be obvious to people, but it is. It's it's there's this descending D minor main theme from the opening main title to Mafia mm-hmm. Two, and that is the main thing that you get for Vito in the game. For everybody else, though, it was about like what kind of music is, has shaped them and shaped their life. Cassandra, I decided, probably had stuff like Miles Davis on her turntable and um, like the soundtrack for the film version of Porgy and Bess. Lincoln stuff is all single coil electric, like Jimi Hendrix type guitar sounds mixed with, and and this is why we brought the steppers in, mixed with step oriented body percussion. If you're not familiar with the sound of stepping, it's very percussive. It's this sound and this mixture of music and dance and that has come out of black fraternities and sororities in the US and it's got a mixture of like military overtones to it and and a mixture of the kinds of routines that groups like the Temptations would do and this like call and response and it's really fascinating. And so I decided that even though Lincoln probably didn't go to college, it doesn't seem like he went to college from the story stuff that I had read, he went to Vietnam and was there probably with other guys in his unit who had gone to college. And Mm -hmm. so he probably was getting exposed to some step routines. And so I just liked this idea of the, the like aggressive masculinity of the sound of stepping and I wanted that to become a sound in Lincoln's music. If you asked Hayden or the other writers about any of this stuff, they'd probably be like, what? No, Cassandra can't stand working <laughs> best or whatever. Like, I have no idea. That but, would be hilarious. You know, but for me, I have to come up with something and, and find a way to approach things. And so sometimes it's steeped in what the team gives me, and sometimes I may go a little rogue. And, you know, whatever gets me to where I need to go, it sort of, you know, it works out.
So, you know, you have worked on other big projects in the past. Uh, what stands out about this for you? I worked at LucasArts for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, so I've worked on a lot of Star Wars stuff and a lot of non-Star Wars stuff. A lot of stuff that, unfortunately, like we would work on original IP stuff all the time. And so I've probably written more stuff for games that haven't come out just by the nature of being on staff at a development studio than, than stuff come out. But the thing that was great about this was I had just spent a ton of time working on a bunch of new music for Star Wars The Old Republic with Bioware and EA. And so to come off of that and then go on to this total, complete gear shift of... You know, the blues was just an amazing experience. And it drove me a little crazy at times, too, because I'm not a guitar player. So I was about, like, once we hit full-on production and I'm deep in the weeds and it's been, like, two months, I'm pulling my hair out, kicking myself for deciding that we should do a guitar-centric score when I don't <laughs> guitar. <laughs> I definitely did not expect you to say that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I don't play guitar at all. Uh I'm a, I'm a singer by training, to be honest. That's what my that's what my instrument background was all throughout college. Did you write out chord changes and specific melodic lines that you wanted them to play? Yeah, a ton of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for my stuff, it uh, most of it is actually just recorded as written. I had sections where I would mark from this bar to this bar is okay for you to improv. For here to here, you can have to mm -hmm. then go back to what you're doing because all of my stuff was to picture or not all of it but it was supposed to go under picture so the reason we did it that way was it was a big debate when we were trying to figure out how how are we going to pull this off because we need musicians who really understand the blues and understand the ability to improvise mm -hmm. but because this so much of the stuff was going to be to picture we had to have people who could read and be able to have a piece of sheet music in front of them that is changing time signatures and <laughs> you know you've got eight bars of four and now suddenly a bar of five gets thrown in and then you switch back to three after that and they had to be able to do that no problem but still sound convincing as blues musicians and so that's actually one of the main reasons we went to nashville because the session musicians there are so fantastic and they're so trained in what they do that that made it pretty easy to, to pull that off When I did these demos at the very beginning for Matt at Hangar 13, and I one of them had cello in it, and he was like, "I, I love that cello so much. I don't know, I don't know if we can use it because we're talking about doing the blues. But is there some every time that cello comes in in that one demo, it really means like it resonates with me so much. So <laughs> do you think you can find a way to do something with it?" And I was like. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's just do show. <laughs> yeah. Let's just do it, because the 60s and, and music recording at that time was all about experimentation, and so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's do it. Let we, you know, the only challenge will be that we need to find a cello player who can swing, because 
that's going to be something that I'll write and uh, not typically something that cello players have to do. Right. But, you know, it's there. You take a listen to that that first track, New Bordeaux, and that's um, Swung Cello. Thank you so much, Jesse, for everything. It's been uh, really nice to finally get a chance to talk with you. And again, just totally love the score. Super Thank fun. You. Thank yeah. you. And likewise, nice to finally talk with you as well. You can learn more about composer Jesse Harlan at patreon.com slash level, and you can follow him on Twitter at O-O-G-E-W. Thanks for listening to episode 41 of Level with Emily Reese. We'll be back soon with our patrons of the week. We have a wonderful list of people who love like such great music from great games. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron of the week, visit patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about Sam and me at june-media.com. Remember, June is J-O-O-N. June.